Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Hard 8, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and newly released Licorice Pizza, all directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? How's it going, Tubby boy? Uh, it's going real well. It's going real well. How was your uh, How was your Paul Thomas Anderson week? Uh, good, good. Uh, I, I'm glad that we could um, uh, keep this kind of focus. Uh, of course, I'm a huge fan of some of the later work of Paul Thomas Anderson, but honestly, a lot of these movies I've never seen before. So yeah, it's, it's cool that you went through his early, like, early, early work. Exactly, and I think uh, Ligurish Pizza very much build to be a return or revival of his romance-driven uh, or his kind of relationship-driven okay. stories. Uh, so uh, very excited to talk about some of these movies. And, and uh, as always, you know, I love tracking the development of a director and their styles over time. So seeing, I mean, so many films in such a short sequence of, uh, of years uh, all together, clustered together, uh, really cool to see how it all develops. Yeah, between Hard Eight and, and Punch Drunk Love, it's only 96 to 2002. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's kind of cool that you notice that his latest licorice pizza kind of takes a return to his old school kind of format yeah yeah um because in between this in between 2002 punch drunk love and licorice pizza which mm-hmm. you know 2021 mm-hmm. you were getting movies much different than oh yeah what this what what licorice pizza is and then his his older stuff like uh uh like boogie nights or something like that the ones in between, I mean. Oh, how, uh, yeah. like a There Will Be Blood, uh, The Master, Phantom, Phantom Thread. Thread. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Just, it's cool that he's kind of taking return to mm-hmm. kind of what his roots a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and honestly, what I've loved about Paul Tim, I mean, There Will Be Blood is is uh, really a masterpiece. Yeah. So uh, seeing him develop maybe some of those styles uh, that are taken to stylistically kind of a different angle, uh, especially for films like The Master and There Will Be Blood, so different than the films that he has in his earlier uh, career. I, I, I like uh, I like watching these, and again, above all else, I like doing my homework on if this is supposed to be a revival of that uh, in his stylings, then I want to see what the source material is. Or... Yeah, and was that something that you picked up on with, with watching his films, or has that was that noted before, that he, he, took, a, he took, you know, it was... It was very purposely done and it was his choice to mm-hmm. go back to an old school kind of format or his ways which... I think it was a little bit in the marketing uh, and again more than anything was driven by that I probably haven't seen uh, I mean one on this film I, I, I've taken a look at before but really haven't done oh, a cool. critical dive into these uh, so I, I said hey that is perfect ammunition to to, to dive into gotcha. the podcast you know that, yeah I can't wait to see how your week went uh, mm-hmm. I hope it I hope you know 
I'm interested to see how, the old, <laughs> how these all <laughs> how turn out. How it all shakes out. Uh, but let's start with the first one, and it's going to be Hard Eight in 1996. And uh, what do we have for an early Paul Thomas Anderson? Okay, so this is first film uh, out of the gate. Uh, Heart Eight is a movie about a benefactor, a a man that is very generous, very giving to uh, a few characters in the life around Reno uh, and and a casino type of uh, living. This is a movie that, as far as first movies go, pretty pretty damn good cast. Uh, we have. John C. Riley, Sam Jackson, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, and in my research, this was described as kind of a a wannabe Tarantino, and I I think that's off base for a few reasons. These are the type of moments that I've really been enjoying researching and reviewing for the podcast because when I find a movie is off base from when I was originally recommended it uh, or in research online, uh, the the chatter around a movie. If I find a different conclusion to that, I'm really excited to talk about it for that reason. And this was definitely hit the hit the nail uh, on that area. So was Hard Eight being compared to you know was was it being compared to early Tarantino or just like after the fact now like in today's standard. People are saying that Hard Eight reminds us just as a, as a normal Tarantino because Tarantino's earlier in the ninety films sure. are much different than what they are now too. Uh, yeah. So was there a comparison between like oh early Paul Thomas Anderson and early Tarantino very close? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's the look of the film, it's the importance of music. I think in ninety six specifically, this movie gets lost among Casino and Pulp Fiction uh, in, right, in how right. it feels and how slick it is in that very nineties you know music fashion fast-paced driven type of film that uh, I, I think for a lot of a lot of viewers you would probably describe it as a Scorsese type honestly it is all over the 90s these type of films um, I think for today's watching uh, well it doesn't maybe get lost in those comparisons because Hard Eight is a very different film than its comparisons of the time uh, despite its feel uh, I think it gets lost today more so on just being a little bit too straightforward and simple of a story uh, it oh, okay. wasn't really anything I felt. Oh, you gotta, you gotta make time to watch this. You know, it was, it was decent. Uh, and and uh, we'll obviously go into what it's primarily about is 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 the performances at hand here. Okay. So, uh, but that's that's where I'm coming in with this with this review that I I don't find there's too much of an overwhelming reason in today's climate to say oh you got to go back and watch Heart Eight, where as with those comparisons to Tarantino, Scorsese work, you know, Casino and Pulp Fiction specifically as contemporaries, those I would say are very much uh, something you should always be circling back for for your watch list. So. Okay, interesting. So. Like Hard Eight ended up just being too one note and not mm, was it lacking a fantasticalness to it or was just lacking something? It was lacking a depth or something like that. Uh, it's very quickly paced. It's very slick. Uh, the music is a big focus here. I think it's it's. It's the story That's, itself, not that, yeah, not that great. Yeah, it's the story itself, and it's a little bit of our main character, uh, uh, Philip Baker Hall, uh, which honestly, I beside, I mean, he is all over these movies uh, that yeah. we're talking about mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Uh, haven't really seen him in much stuff outside of this, so it was kind of see fun to see him popping up in each of these watches throughout the week. Um, he's our main focus here, and uh, you know, despite a star-studded cast, he is really, really our, our main character. So much importance is put on his routine on his expertise and his generosity as a character. Part of my problem with it is he plays almost a flawlessly good character and 
throughout the entire film, you're looking for speckles of bad or you're looking for some sort of... Uh, perspective on why are we following him? Why is mm. this? Where's this generosity coming from? And eventually, the film gives that to you, but it's a little too one note. And I'm talking for the entirety of the runtime of the film, we're not given any reason to be really interested in the character other than he's incredibly generous to the people in hardship around him. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and so in that way it's also <clears throat> when it, when a character's so straightforward like that, whether they're completely bad or just completely good, it's the gray that makes it interesting. Exactly. Makes, makes a character interesting and almost like relatable too. You gotta have that marbling. You gotta have that speckle of good and bad. That's good uh, yeah. character writing with it. And, and very much more uh, realistic as well. Exactly. As far as just natural human nature goes, kind of. Okay, yeah. so so it's he's lacking just a morally gray character. Yeah, uh, for most it, of the film. It, it, he's flawlessly good, and eventually the film does get into, uh, especially in the third act, why he is acting in his way, and we finally get explanation about it. But there there are even solo moments that he's on screen that nothing is given to it, and it's it's just a a hard hook. Uh, I, I had a hard time wondering why we were so invested in this character, other oh, okay. than you know him doing you know very generous things for the people around him uh like i said uh my my main criticism there is that if you're going to write uh a character or rather more importantly good character writing is uh, that speckle that marbling of uh you know a good character can't be uh, fully good there has to be something to bring him in the middle something more relatable something to bring them down a tiny bit uh just in the same way that a good villain writing you have to probably have something reasonable to their mustache twirling right uh, right to create some depth there so okay when it comes to uh, everyone else i think everyone else is doing a passable job sam jackson is definitely a standout here uh he gives he's given a lot of cool moments on screen okay um i wonder as, if that's why people just it's just like oh classic tarantino or something exa- like, just yeah, because you oh, get sam sure. jackson in that there. the casino vibe yeah uh, the the music certainly yeah that mm-hmm. that's where those comparisons come from okay. for sure uh and and credit to obviously sam jackson's agent because they knew how to maybe not typecast <laughs> but certainly play to the yeah, play to the yeah. feel, you know, of what people wanted. He sold uh, it well, though, Sam Jackson. Absolutely, he, he's yeah. in the right role. Rule of cool is is right here, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and he's cool as ice in it. Definitely not a a full antagonist. The antagonist of this, or, or the the conflict in this film, is a, is a little weak. But Sam Jackson is more of like an agitator. He uh, he plays uh, you know almost part of the slippery slope of how things come about in this film. Uh, a very brief young Philip Seymour Hoffman is also another standout. I mean, um, we're talking about Philip Baker Hall. Philip Seymour Hoffman is uh, all over these films, and that was probably one of the most enjoyable aspects of going back to these films because huh. I've seen him in a lot of stuff and, and a lot of his award-winning work, but this is. As as close as a director actor relationship as your De Niro to Scorsese, you know, a, a, almost right, any right, comparison right. you can come up with, or uh, a Tarantino and a Samuel. Sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so when it comes there, you know, those those are really stand up performances. I think John C. Riley, as much as I love seeing him on screen, he's also uh, riddled in these movies that we're covering today. Not the best performance, Gwyneth Paltrow as well. Not the best, and I think in combination with that. I'm looking more out of these characters here, and it's not that depth is there. It's not that care isn't put behind these character arcs in the film. It's just a little one note, and it comes off a little bit too simple for especially a late '90s film. So you're really looking more for you're you're looking 
more out of the writing. It's not so much the performances mm-hmm. that, you, that you're taking issue with. It's mm-hmm. you wish that the characters just overall from the get-go were given more depth. Is that exactly. what you're kind of saying? Okay. Exactly. And not for nothing, too. Uh, just to briefly go back to uh, Philip Baker Hall with, with his character. I forget the character's name in the, in the movie. Uh, Sydney, it was. You know, there are moments given to solo time on screen right. that could have easily been backstory, could have easily been uh, a, a glimpse of why are we following this character. Instead, it's it's real estate in the film for a soundtrack, for cool casino shots, mm, okay. uh, and it's not exactly bad, but it doesn't give the depth that I want out of this story. Uh, and for that reason, I mean, that's that's really kind of what wraps me into this uh, this this overall feeling, you know, excuse the pun, but for a casino movie, there is very little stakes here. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the conflict uh, is uh, just comes a little too late and, and just a little too straightforward. There's not enough of a hook by the time that the hook comes, and that hook is just just way too late. The style of the film is there, and certainly. If you uh, are in love with any kind of casino movie uh, as, as a subject matter, I, I think the, the the package that this is wrapped up in is a very cool wrapping. But overall, this film comes off a bit weak because of how quickly the conflict is resolved and how little insight we give into the characters of why this is the conflict. Why are we following that? Okay. With that said, we are going to go ahead and give Hard Eight a forty nine. Oh, wow, 49, okay. Middle of the road. Yeah, so really, yeah, not much to, um, you can't, you, walk, you walked away from this not impressed and not highly disappointed. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, I lukewarm uh, just because, again, it was, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say too shallow of experience, but again, hmm. it, it just goes back to that Yeah, but I think that would sum it up pretty well as well, yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's like okay, it makes sense. His his kind of first film, first big feature film, mm-hmm. oh, it kind of makes sense, you know. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's keep it going here. And very surprisingly, like like I said, Hard Eight came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. We're one year later, 1997, and that's when we have Boogie Nights wow. comes out. Wow. And what do we have with Boogie Nights? Uh, man, uh, a surprise from me. <laughs> uh, I loved this film. Uh, this is a fairly infamous film for uh, the starting point for Mark Wahlberg, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of ensemble cast. Again, we have uh, John C. Riley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Burt Reynolds as a phenomenal yeah, yeah. role in this, uh, and a lot of usual offenders or <laughs> usual cast to <laughs> uh, to uh, PTA's films. Uh, this is a movie about the porn industry in 1977, uh, and has just I mean one hell of an opening shot and sequence. Uh, the first sequence shows us all of our main characters, pretty much all of them. I mean, okay. damn near close to all the characters we're going to follow. And the film is, is so strategically set up in that way because we basically get introduced to this this family, this 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 ensemble cast, and then we follow them and develop with them over a good seven years. Uh, and it was it was so strategic. It's uh, I mean, really. How I wrap up my feeling with this film is that it knows what it wants to achieve and it executes it so incredibly well. Wow, okay. Uh, a really, really phenomenal film. And I was almost in disbelief of how I've never seen this film. I mean, of course, I know a I little bit. I love it. I love the fact that you didn't see it. I got <laughs> yeah. to watch it fresh, fresh eyes for this. Exactly. And, and loved it this much, Yeah, too. that's awesome. 
it was really a phenomenal time. So I, they, it really, they get they, he had you on the hook that first scene. Oh, and yeah. And you were just oh, because you were and, like, okay, I'm along for the ride. Exactly. Take me on it. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's done in a very Spielberg Warner uh, Scorsese kind of bar scene introduction, and I, I think this film gets compared a lot again in the midst of that late '90s music driven, yeah, cool yeah. look to it. I think where with Heart Eight, that was a perspective to kind of understand how it was being compared at the time with. With Boogie Nights, I think, once again, if I can help folks at home navigate these films, that is the wrong way to look at this film. This film is very much about the progression of an ensemble cast throughout seven years of their life in the porn industry, and it is so much more than just like a Scorsese wannabe, like it's it's been compared sometimes. Stands on its own. Yeah, it stands on its own, because it's much more pocket, it's much more... Uh, family oriented as as much weird as that sound is with with the porn industry <laughs> so uh it is really uh a, a top notch experience i think why i love this film so much is its look though it is so damn sharp uh so precise in the topic and how it goes about uh, executing that topic of the feel of the porn industry at, during 77, uh, the progression into VHS coming about and how that changed porn, some historical elements, but most of all, really building some good heart into our characters. Um, we will get into the performances in just a second because it was probably the most mind-blowing part about this film. <laughs> uh, and I really mean mind-blowing because uh, I do not like Mark Wahlberg. Uh, but uh, the rule of cool once again comes up here and I think it's probably one of the best uh, executed upon in that time period because the subject matter of a messy porn industry in this in in 77 and mm. beyond you know up until like 83 it's not really happy material. It's uh, very emotionally heavy. Uh, very Sad. It's kind of sad. just a downer. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as all audience members can watch this film and say, oh, wow, you know, it's uh, this is this is not something I want to be a part of, which is kind of a no-dust statement. But the brilliance of this film is it takes it on the chin with a smile. Everyone is so happy about this very speckled, dirty topic Okay, that it really, it, it's so well-paced, it's so sharp, and the cinematography sells it for that reason as well. These, these characters are given such a long time on screen just to interact with each other, just to sell the illusion that they're all under, that they're, this is probably the best opportunities of their life. And as the film progresses, as it turns more and more sour for these characters, uh, we really get some top-notch performances. The camera never breaks away. Uh, we are given just such long sequences uh, with them. And it's one, it's probably a good idea because you have quite such a large cast and you mm-hmm. want to kind of get in-depth with all of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome that he introduces almost everybody right away, like you exactly. said. Exactly. And it's it's so funny to hear you say it's so, it, like you said, it's really paced well mm-hmm. and you didn't find yourself checking your watch or anything like that and you just felt it was good, snappy, and quick. You know, the movie's two hours and 35 minutes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so the fact that he was able to fill that time and it's, like, it's you know, maybe it's it's... One of the only, would you say, I won't put words in your mouth, would you say you have this two hour and 35 minute film and it's just like, oh, he needed all of that time to get done what he wanted, you know? 
At least, well, it's, it's, you know, it's apparent that you weren't saying there's fat here to trim. Uh, yes, no, and I think that's actually a trend with all of his films. Uh, we'll get to Magnolia in just a second, but Magnolia right. is even a meteor film at three hours and change. Yeah, like three, and like three I, hours, I, eight minutes. Again, yeah. you know, pacing is not one of my critiques, and if anything, a highlight of these films. It's fantastic. So, yeah, I, yeah I mean, Breath of Fresh Air, I feel like. You know, all through you know Q three Q four, we were uh, I was complaining about we were talking about you know how oh just in mud in muddy boots, <laughs> right. you know <laughs> knee deep in it. These movies feel like you know pulling teeth. Right. It was very refreshing to see across the board, uh, very well paced. And one other note, just um, so the t- cinematographer Robert El- uh, Ellswit, mm. it seemed like he followed Paul Thomas Anderson a little bit, like he he, he did. Uh, uh, there will be blood. He also mm. did things like Nightcrawler. He did do Punch Drunk Love oh, that we'll that we'll fantastic. review later. Yeah. Uh, he even did uh, King Richard, which, oh, which wow. we reviewed last week. Look at that. Um, so he's kind of all over the place. And Look stunned, at that. He's done a number of movies that uh, you would be surprised that he yeah. did too. Look at this. But uh, I just want to make a note of that because it seems Paul Thomas Anderson also he must have liked him for good reason to keep him around. Yeah, yeah. And he was around for a little See, while. And cinematographers sometimes it's hard to touch on that because. I don't know. I mean, if the script sucks, if if the movie sucks, you know, overall, and cinematography can only go so far, but it can hmm. just be such an enhanced element. I mean, it really is the visual language of how we're, you know, watching the film and consuming it, you know, consuming no, I, the story. Yeah, it's a good point to make about cinematography because we, we highlight it sometimes. I wish cinematographers were more highlighted. I agree. You know what I that mean? That and editors, too. And you know? and the way that, mo- and actually one of your pr- your problems with King Richard was mm-hmm. that it was a little bit boring as yes. far as the way it was shot and everything mm-hmm. like that, the look mm-hmm. and style. I love a different story that the, the actual job of the cinematographer. Yep, yep. Um, but all those little things play a role in some sort of way. And the, it's funny that you say it could make no difference at all or can really help enhance. Absolutely. If a movie's going well and then you have that on top of it, mm-hmm. it's funny how you're taking note of it while watching it. But, yeah, yeah. You know. and, and that's shocking with King Richard too because that definitely was my main criticism with it, just boring portrayal of the main action hmm. items. You yeah, know, that's pretty funny. But, um, I would say... Back to back to Boogie Nights, though. Uh, my main critique here is actually the music for you know you know some. It, it's got some cool deep cuts, admittedly for the time period. All of it stays very focused around seventy seven to eighty three uh, and before, of course. For some of the music cuts, so, so does all the music make sense? All the music makes sense. There's no nineties songs no. in there. Nothing. Right. Okay. No. No House of Gucci syndrome. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but I, I will say I, I do have a little bit of a gut reaction to how much music, just the sheer abundance of it, it feels. And I think I'm ready to label it and eventually revisit the film. It has Forrest Gump syndrome. Uh, it's just ah. Like, and <laughs> We Not a house of Gucci before it's Gump syndrome. Right, right. There's many like syndromes it. out there. <laughs> many, many ailments. It's just, there is just so much music. Some of it is done and passes my, you know, kind of logic test that if it's playing within the universe, if it's actually playing on like a radio or something in the scene, I think that's all right. Some very much is, uh, feels like, uh, let's just try to get the, the most deep cut possible for 78 uh, and put it in here for this rule of cool. I think it works as a whole. I think as a critique, I cannot uh, throw that against some, a movie like Forrest Gump and not throw it against Boogie Nights as okay. well. You know? So it was bugging you a little. It's just like too much of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. do you think, was it coming? Mm-hmm. Could somebody watching it 
Is the idea somewhat just to put you back in that time? Yeah, but I think that's so shallow. Like, I, I think it's... Because lazy. You have brought it up with Forrest yeah. Gump, it seems there's a laziness that it comes across. Yeah, it's which, so much which like... I don't it, necessarily disagree. Yeah, if I'm going to have... If the, you're going to put the year on screen, on text, you know, I mean, right. it's yeah, going to be yeah, at yeah. the bottom. Why, why do you need to sell me on this idea of, of music playing? If anything, it's... At that point, it's like, all right, well, 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 well so no, it, duh. So it wasn't you know? feeling provoking? You were just like, you know, when a song kicks on, like, to start a scene mm-hmm. off, you know, to get you in a mood or something like that where House of Gucci kind of dropped the ball on right, that. Right. Um, was it working on that level where it's just like getting you ready for this quick scene or this snappy scene coming up? A little bit. Because so. like I said, there are some serious deep cuts. I mean, it's kind of a, a very cool soundtrack for right. how much it's not the usual uh, affair uh, of this type of music. But like I said, I mean, if there's going to be a line that blurs with calling this uh, a very music-driven late 90s film, a Scorsese type, uh, a Tarantino type, uh, this film doesn't escape that just because the music is just so much i mean it's a lot huh? scenes go from 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 song to song to song and it's very and, much our complaint with cruella yeah if, if i want to be even more savage it's complete with suicide squad you know oh uh, yeah first well. one that is <laughs> <laughs> the og yeah it's a, 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 a different yeah. story yeah but you know, that, that's overall yeah. where the critique lies is just i i feel like the soundtrack was a little heavy-handed and especially when the little air the small areas where the score actually steps in and it's selling the idea of wow these people think this is the best thing that's happened to them but it's a very soured very uh terrible reality that they actually live in it's such a standout i i, I would just want it toned back a little bit that's that, that's okay i think that's a fair criticism yeah. rise but mark Wahlberg, uh how is he this good i i He's despise good in things. I'm just, we're gonna have to give him more of a watch <laughs> we are we are he is phenomenal the whole cast as this ensemble dysfunctional pornographic family uh, <laughs> it, it it works so surprisingly well almost comes off in the same type of heartwarming way that uh, early Wes Anderson works almost work uh, it's it's hmm. no one is no one is really a huge standout everyone's doing a great job and it works together because they are working together as this this kind of family unit and yeah they they you know uh, parts of it they separate they have their own interests in their lives but the way the film follows the same cast the same faces that are introduced in that opening sequence over about seven year period uh, it just evolves so well uh, and, and so expertly paced for that reason uh, just just a question so it follows a seven year period did they with did, were they aging the characters through makeup at all or seven seven years enough time where you didn't really mm. notice because you had some young characters like Definitely a young Mark Wahlberg Mark Wahlberg so. But it was related more so, more so with kind of their descent, not necessarily aging. You know, obviously okay. there's got to be drugs involved, right? And, but you know. so they, there was a conscious physical difference as, as the movie progressed. I think so. Okay, I, 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 I was just uh, yeah, yeah. something I was thinking of. I would I would maybe want to go back and check that. I, I I don't know if it was if it was that intense, but uh, well, I I think I think what balances here is when I think of Burt, Burt Reynolds' character who's mm-hmm. old already. There wasn't a huge effort to make him look even older, or anything right? Like right, that. but Mark Wahlberg was seven years. I, it's good that you weren't sitting there and being just like, "Well, oh, still looking, still looking pretty good for seven <laughs> years later, Mark." You know, <laughs> right. at least you weren't saying that. Basically, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 definitely wasn't anything that detracted from the movie. But uh, uh, where I want to wrap up with this, though, I mean, I think I could. Th- this movie could very, very easily be overlooked as that soundtrack-driven '90s film trying to capture that energy that was in that 
that time period in, in a lot of films, but Boogie Nights has some serious heart to it and tells more of a day-in-the-life story rather than rather than criminals have it coming to them type of story that is so explored in these light, late 90s films and, and where the comparisons to this film would be drawn at the time and I think currently as well. It is so much better for that reason and much how I said with the perspective for Heart 8, Heart 8 that there's in the present day, not too much of a reason to return to this film. Mm. There's not, you know, you don't really have to race to 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 watch it. This film absolutely earns that to say this is stands on its own and is damn good for it as well. Awesome. Um, take that wrapped up in uh, a <laughs> uh, just an excellently shot film, and you have a must watch from me. Ooh. We are going to go ahead and give Boogie Nights oh boy. a big boy alert <laughs> and eighty five. All right, it was phenomenal. Wow, and sh- okay. and again, just shocked. I did not see. I have not seen this before. It was. It was. I saw Mark Wahlberg, yes, and I, I and I voided it. Stay away. And I I was wrong. And everybody it, knows, you know, Boogie Nights. Everyone, everyone's like mm-hmm, heard like callback mm-hmm. suit and everything like that. Wow. Yeah, I'm shocked you haven't seen it. I'm shocked mm-hmm. it's an 85. It, 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 that's, really, so, that's awesome. That's so, fantastic. So, so much of a fun watch, you know. Obviously very raunchy, but, you know, maybe not something you, you sit down with your parents. With right, it, right. But. But what a turnaround, by the way, too. Like, again, one year. Hard Eight came out in 96. Boogie Nights mm-hmm. came out in 97. Mm-hmm. And just to have, like, these very, very different films. Mm-hmm. Uh Ah, that, that, that's really that's awesome. That's awesome. And if there's going to be anything in the establishing DNA, it's it's in the look of his films. His looks, uh, the look of his films are extremely sharp. He knows the type of feel he wants to portray on screen. You right, know? right. Uh, which is which is fantastic. Okay, uh, that's that's awesome. And again, we're st- we're still in the nineties. We're ju- we're jumping two years ahead. <laughs> we're stuck in the nineties. Nineteen ninety nine. Like we said, it's it's a three hour. Eight-minute film, and this is Magnolia. <laughs> Magnolia. Okay, so Magnolia, I, I wasn't, uh, to be honest, I, I, was, I was a little scared to, to jump into because uh, I watched these out of order, uh, and at this point, I, I, I watched Magnolia after one I didn't exactly care for, which we'll get to in, in, in a moment, and this is very much billed as PTA's epic. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a great way to describe it. Once again, I think if there's a theme for helping you folks at home navigate this is that a lot of the buzz online for Paul Thomas Anderson's early work, I think, is off base. Uh, some things are, are better than as described. Some things are worse. I think Magnolia fits into a very unique work in his filmography. Um, this is a film about extraordinary chance uh, and that kind of mounts into unlikely conditions, unlikely outcomes, and is told right in the opening scenario. This film has kind of a pocket scenario that it opens up with uh, and sells the idea. When I was first watching this, I don't know if I still 100% agree with my initial gut feeling on this, but I would almost categorize this uh, I'll, I'll, for, mm-hmm. for you, Tom, uh, kind of a Cloud Atlas-like, you know, that there's <laughs> obviously way before Cloud Atlas. Right, right, but right. It's this kind of growing storylines tying into storylines. They weave. Uh, it's not as done as bombastic as Cloud Atlas right. where it's you, lifetimes. And you, you know? didn't have to watch it two, three, four, five times. <laughs> To really get it. I still think you and I are the only people that like that film. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, you know, uh, I have no, no shame about it either. Yeah. But, but that sense of that constant, it's, it's, a, it's talk about a moving movie. It's, exactly. It's, it's on the go. Very interwoven. Uh, would you say pay attention? Uh, 
yeah, I guess because it, it honestly the the fun of the, oh not the fun but the um the the enjoyment of this film is unraveling and tying to where people can be connected. Okay, uh, and okay. A very large cast. I mean, we probably have a good ensemble of ten. I would call main characters in this. And in uh, some sort of way, you have interwoven stories connecting yeah. at certain parts. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Which um, makes sense that you know, like, okay, so it's over three hours because you need to have all these stories have their due. Basically. I, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, <clears throat> as far as the connections. Uh, together in the you know the, how they're interwoven how you're unraveling that as an audience member that's the whole point of the film uh, right, and again right. If I would say, especially before you dive into a three-hour affair, mm. uh, it, it right in the beginning it gives you kind of a pocket scenario of what is going to be sold over the feel of the movie, uh, over the runtime of it. Uh, you know, if you give it a chance and you're not digging that first thing, that's that's your that's your note to kind of step out of this film. For me, it was mm. enjoyable. Standout segments and roles. Uh, I I mean. The roles are all interwoven. Almost everyone eventually crosses tracks with each other. But very early on, that's where I was getting those Cloud Atlas vibes, that it was these these segments uh, of... They're, they're dedicated to them. Those, those standouts are Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, probably... Man, I would have to put maybe a tiny bit more thought into it, but probably my favorite out of all these, just because he's so real. He just almost uncannily feels like just like a real ass person like i don't Philip know Seymour how Hoffman, you're saying yeah i don't know how he he's does it he's very good at that he really is and he's not afraid to make himself look like an idiot quickly going back right, to right. boogie nights you know he plays like a kind of a de- weird deplorable character in the porn industry but like he's totally fine doing it like and he, he sells it so well that's awesome uh such a such a shame we we lost him as an actor but uh another one William H Macy a uh, really awesome segment of a um kind of a washed up game show contestant uh, chi- child star and <laughs> Uh, just very entertaining. Other other performances, I think, are good. Nothing I'm too in love with. Tom Cruise. I mean, I was gonna say, okay. Yeah, yeah. There. T- <laughs> <laughs> How is Tom Cruise? How is how's, Mr. Cruise? How is Cruise doing? Uh, Tom Cruise plays a all his own stunts in the movie. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> all his own tears. Yeah. Um, he plays a very kind of a he's like a sociopath, uh, self men self help leader. Uh, that I, I don't know. It's a little bit flip floppy because I think while he's while he has the mask of the character on, uh, and before the character gets kind of cracked emotionally, well, I don't like the the character in sub subject matter. He does do a great job. I think he sells a lot of energy on screen. Okay, it's when he comes into his emotion. I think, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to be too critical, but I think he's probably the only one out of our whole ensemble cast that I would give maybe a little bit of a thumbs down on. Oh, okay, um, all right. It's just sold with the same over the top energy that his hmm. his character within the character is trying to sell to people yeah uh and it it just comes off just so like oh okay he's he's really he's really hamming it up here and very uh, tom cruise like just yeah. extremely tom you're actively cruise. telling yourself all right tom cruise very good very yeah, good it's yeah. not exactly what you want <laughs> exactly right exactly uh i will say i mean <laughs> i there's been a couple things that i wanted to go back with tom cruise so maybe i'll, I'll open my eyes a little bit on that but i would say if there's the out of the very large cast if only one is giving me kind of a thumbs down feeling, uh, I think that's a pretty big win, you know. You're, oh, for uh, sure, yeah. Th- 
of the juggling act that the film goes through. But um, for some criticism, uh, once again, uh, soundtrack and score are a bit in conflict. Uh, the soundtrack, uh, oh, I'm sorry, no, the, rather the score has a really beautiful, consistent, rising build through the whole movie uh, and, and, and creates a backbone, creates a through line that... I think, honestly, is the keystone to why this film is so expertly paced for being three hours and change. It's that score that is constant. You know, if, if there's going to be a matching to the concept of these stories are interwoven, it's because there's this natural building, rising action in the score that is constantly uh, playing throughout the film. Could be a little bit annoying for some. Uh, I hmm. think for me, it definitely worked. Okay. Uh, where it doesn't work is where soundtrack and score are overlapped. Uh, you have such a such a heavy-handed score with its vision, with, with, with how it's designed through the film, and then you're just going to have the soundtrack, which, while it's not bad quality, it, it will often play over in conflict, and it, it, it just does not mash well. Interesting. Um, okay. It, it, That's it, a good note to make, yeah. Yeah, it, it felt in conflict. Uh, you have uh, operatic strings rising, and then you have bar tracks playing with lyrics, and then you have people talking over that. It just... It's a little it, messy. It, it, yes, it yeah. did not mesh well. It, it, it was it was poorly mashed together. Okay. And I think it's a shame because I think if 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 I was to blame one of the sides there, it's definitely the soundtrack side, and on its own, the score, I think, is is very purposeful. Mm. Uh, but uh, just definitely something to note because, as always, sound design I think is just as important of uh, you know how this film is shot, mm, how the story is laid. Absolutely, how, you yeah. Know, it's the palatability. It's how yeah. we're digesting it. So, but yeah, uh, as far as the differences between the storylines. While at first they may seem very dis disjointed, I mean, we have everything from a game show host tying into the network uh, CEO, tying into his hospice nurse, then tying into his son. You know, it, it, it's very, the distance between them is very far, but this film does a wonderful dance. And again, I mm. think what was so shocking is that it's a three hour plus film. I feel it's expertly paced. Wow. Part of the reason of that is it, it keeps audience members, at least it kept me preoccupied with constantly unraveling and, and trying to make these mental connections of how things can tie together. It was very game-like in that way. Uh, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it yeah, for that reason. It's an impressive thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best thing about these type of films, I, I, I won't say Cloud Atlas like because this obviously predates that, you know. Of course, of course. But and and I, you know, maybe that's something that we dive into on the podcast as far as an exploration of what's the source of this type of storytelling, uh, what who did it first, basically. Uh, either way, yeah. I, I I'm a fan of the unraveling that happens. Okay, there's definitely enjoyment here. I, I would say again. <laughs> you know, for a meaty film, uh, that's pretty impressive uh, that uh, I wasn't watching the clock. You know, I was always preoccupied or not preoccupied, but always invested uh, with what was going on there. So uh, I think new scenes are presented. New information is presented quickly enough to keep it snappy, to engage the watcher. And, and as 
you know, the film, you know, snowballs into more and more unlikely circumstances. You're there along the way to track it back of how we got there and how, you know, once again, it kind of mounts from chance to unlikely outcomes. We're going to go ahead and give Magnolia a 72. Oh, 72. Okay, very cool. Very solid movie. It's very solid. And again, yeah, what it comes down to is very impressive to keep the viewer that engaged for that amount of time. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's awesome to hear. And believe me, you 72 know, is I, a very good score. I saw that three-hour runtime. I was like, oh, boy. Get a little nervous. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Exactly. Wow, okay. Uh, 72, great score. Okay, so we're going to keep on moving. Uh, we have his next film. We were in 2002, his biggest gap yet, three years. Mm. And uh, we have Adam Sandler on deck. This is Punch Drunk Love. Yes, uh, a film that I, I was aware of, um, and this was a film that I, I've seen parts of because it's such a odd role uh, for Adam Sandler. Uh, but I got to be honest, I was really not in love with this film. Uh, this is a film about a very awkward, um, maybe socially inept character that is frustrated by his family circumstances, uh, trying to find love, and just overall, it, it, it's just like a, a mental breakdown of a film, honestly. Uh, hmm. it, part of the reason why I included this, even with some of my sense uh, of, of that I may not like it and, and what I've seen prior, is... When I've heard this film described, I've always heard it described as a very uh, stream-of-conscious rom-com, but both the romance and the comedy of that, I think both don't work, Uh, and part of that is how it's packaged. Hmm. It's, It's like a very awkward romance wrapped up in a suspense plot about anger issues and it's it's just i don't know so it's not much comedy and there's not much romance the comedy is we'll get into adam sandler's performance i think it is the highlight if there is a highlight to the film it is it is sandler and and believe me that's you know me that's high praise we're we're giving high praise to mark Wahlberg, and we're getting high praise to adam sandler that's 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 new for me (laughs) so well i will say the one interesting thing as soon as we sat down here and said you watched this was Mm -hmm. just like ooh, like this is again we don't see him in a role quite like this often and Mm -hmm. i'm almost like how does he deal with the drama like it's got weird comedy in it and they have the drama Mm -hmm. like any resemblance to his performance in Uncut Gems or something you know what I mean oh uh, certainly with the breakdown element that's actually a great read Tom yeah um and and clearly, I think this movie shows very, or, or at least a little bit earlier on in his career, that he does have range. Right, uh, right. Which we just, it's just not explored much. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, but the comedy of this uh, is a little bit of a hard sell because it's very much poking fun at Adam Sandler's character until his character has these explosive rage moments that are defining his life for the story beats okay. of it and sold by the movie of wow Adam Sandler is freaking out on screen uh, and now, it is funny but oh so it's it's comedy comedy freakouts it's comedy freakouts is it like happy gilmore when he freaks out or is it at least a little bit more serious or dark or weird like uh, definitely more darker Extru- okay, very so it much is different freakouts yes okay. yes but it, of a similar vein that he's breaking glass or he's punching through a wall or you know right 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 yeah he tears apart a, a rest room during in the middle of a dinner okay. for one but point, still you know? a, a more serious note regardless yeah 
than a, uh, than a Happy Gilmore. Film. Yeah, I, I think it's sold less effectively <laughs> though because it's it's that rage and it is funny to see him lose his shit on screen. Right, but it's just wrapped up in such a weird, frustrating package that is just you know the the film is so cruel to his character, and then his character is still presented in. In in, a, in an empathetic way, uh, it's just it just it's it's wrapped up in a way that it feels like it's a, a, a mental breakdown of the character, especially with the music. The music is very high strung. It's very anxiety inducing. Uh, very artistic with its percussion. But, but it does. But it doesn't work. I don't think it works because if the film is trying to sell comedic moments, it really does come off more like a suspense romance. Which Interesting. Is weird. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and believe me, I, I like weird stuff. I think for me, though, the hard pill to swallow was that I was coming into this not a huge fan of Adam Sandler. And for the first half of the film, we don't get to those good freak out moments. We are just seeing Adam Sandler's character get further and further frustrated with his circumstances and his family life and whatnot. And it's just kind of like uncomfortable to watch for that reason. Huh, okay. Um, certainly maybe a feather in PTA's cap for telling a story once again, if he's trying to tell a story about that frustration, he's trying to communicate that. The movie is certainly effective as that. I can I can have that appreciation. I just don't think it was that enjoyable to watch, especially, again, where I'm coming at this for folks at home. If this is going to be billed as a rom-com, no less probably some people call this one of the best rom-coms, mm. this is I, – I don't think that that's – a, that's a very misleading way to talk about it. Okay. Uh, that's good. To, yeah, misleading. definitely good to know going into yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. And the comedy is a hard sell, like I said. Everyone's really just like a total weirdo. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not that the scenes aren't funny. It's, again, the scenes can be funny, but then the music playing, it feels like, I don't know, like an American psycho or something like that. It's portrayed in such a mental breakdown, huh. high-strung way. It's I don't know. It's just a, an odd mashing. And and I watched this movie in in one of the first. I think it was either Heart Aid or this I did first uh, this week. Yeah, I, this this kind of set the tone wrong, which I'm so glad Boogie Nights sent me. It was just such a win uh, in diving into these films. <laughs> for I your really, sake, at least for oh, your week. For my sake, absolutely. <laughs> my sanity. You know, my high struck now. <laughs> um, let's talk about Sanders a little bit. Uh, you know, to my surprise, he really is pretty great. Uh, he has moments of rage that are story serving. You know, it, they are for his character arc of how he's dealing with rage and what are his triggers mm -hmm. to have these, you know, really freakouts. And I would say when that music is played back a little bit or toned back, when he's just kind of left to freak out on screen, it's both funny and compelling. So I will say, if you are a fan of Adam Sandler's work already, this might be a must-watch because it's showing that range very mm -hmm. early on in his career, which clearly he has demonstrated in other times. Yeah. And he is enjoyable. I mean, he's he's playing a very particular type of character, but you can tell he's definitely putting a lot of effort into it, which is, if I had to levy criticism as why I don't like Sandler, is that a lot of his productions don't have effort behind it. So I have to give some praise that he is putting, you know, some serious acting chops. Behind okay. Very cool. That, 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 that was a, that was a highlight for me. Uh, other than that though, I mean, other than this being possibly a 
boundary breaking role for his acting career. I, I really don't feel there's much to rave about with this film. How uh, is Philip Seymour Hoffman? Minor. Uh, such a minor character. Oh, okay, he has okay. a freak out. He has a little bit of conflict. Technically, he's our main antagonist, but the conflict of the film is also like everyone's against, like the world's kind of against uh, Sandler's character. Okay. The character's name. Okay. But, um, so he's just one of many things frustrating him and driving him to this rage. And for that reason, because of that focus is always all angles inwards towards uh, Adam Sandler's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so much. I mean, I would say almost sole focus is on his character, and and not much on supporting cast. You know, it really is his show. Okay. Here, so, and and that's why you know I want to make sure to focus on that for for what this film is about, and and very similarly, like with with what I was kind of wrapping up on. If this film is going to be seen as a boundary-breaking role for him, fantastic. You know, I mean, may, that that's something to watch. For me, though, you know, I don't feel there's a lot to rave about with that. And, you know, and, and again, that's, that's a little bit some of my bias, a little bit some of my predisposition that I wasn't exactly craving to see him push his acting chops farther. Uh, and I definitely wasn't invested in the story for a, a couple different reasons of how it was presented to me. Okay, uh, sure. How it was presented on screen. Uh, especially in the second half, scenes are strung together in such a low-impact, fantastical way, very wish-fulfillment thing. Yes, it's maybe cathartic to see, oh, it's finally going right for this character, mm-hmm. but it just felt so little stake, little impact, little conflict. Things get resolved so quickly it was like uh, by the end of it i was just like okay you know, <laughs> you know it was just uh not, not something and, i was and, raving and, about yeah sure. and it's kind of surprising again i mean not to not to like harp on time so much on this podcast but it, mm-hmm. it, it's just the fact of like you know we just got we just got done with over a three-hour movie and you saying how appropriate it was and how engaged you were and mm. here we are like an hour and 35 minutes that's that's all the film is it's about an hour yeah. and a half and yeah. the fact that at the end of it you're just like all right you know okay very good good it's a great point because yeah it's kind of it, weird if, and hard eight was only an hour and 40 minutes yeah, yeah. you know it, it's just it's just weird yeah and, and granted those these two films are very different but For i sure, think they, you know. they do share a, a critique in the sense that the conflict gets resolved too easily uh, and ah. it, for that reason, the conflict almost—you're left questioning as an audience. Okay, was it that big of a deal to begin with? Right. Was know? it that worth it to invest my time into? Exactly. Exactly. Hour and thirty or not? So. Right. Uh, was there any note of of cinematography separately that you had with this? Just because it, we share kind of cinematographers and everything like that, sure, you loved sure. it so much in Boogie Nights. So. Uh, I, I liked it, and especially for his rage, uh, those moments where he's freaking out, very enjoyable to watch and presented in creative ways. Again, I think the standout is a bathroom scene okay. that he just goes in and I mean, he wrecks the bathroom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not trying to be too hard on him. I and mean, you know, if the film is going to be like those freak out moments, hey, that's fine. But again. You know, nothing that could save it. The cinematography, okay, nothing sure, that, sure. Uh, that was really elevating how this frustrating story, uh, you know, intentionally frustrating story, uh, it was being presented. Gotcha. So, okay. Uh, with that said, not coming out too hot with this one, and like I, much, much on the same note of Hard Eight, not really finding a huge reason to recommend this to you folks at home of. Uh, going back and watching the filmography, I think this one, unfortunately, is a pass despite being a standout role for Adam Sandler. We're going to go ahead and give Punch Drunk Love a 43.
Wow, 43, even lower than Hard Eight. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a little surprising, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's funny, because it, it is talked up quite a bit of, like you said, kind of being that rom-com and exactly. being a bit of a different so style. And so you know. Yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's interesting. And it, it's a good note that you've made, though, of just like, hey, if you're kind of following Sandler a little bit like mm-hmm. that, um, maybe check it out for his sake, you know. But exactly. otherwise, as far as storytelling is, con- is concerned, you know, definitely maybe maybe a bit of a pass at a 43. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I have people in my life that uh, they can consider Adam Sandler that you know their favorite no less you know a, yeah we you grew know, up a, with a, him so much yeah. we've you know I mean we really did grow up with those with his movies mm-hmm. so he's definitely he's definitely a part of part of that a little mm-hmm. bit yeah mm-hmm. so okay all right well very good Ben so those were our, our four older films before we get on to our newly released kind of in theaters films again we just want to take a time time here and, and thank you, producers, who help produce this show. Ben and I host the show. We don't look at you as listeners. We look at you producers. And what you can do is you can go on the dailyratings.com. You can go to the donations tab. And through monetary donations, you guys help keep this going. You know, I mean, we want to stay away from corporate sponsors and things like that. We don't want to just shill products that, you know, you don't have to care about or that, honestly, you're just going to skip fast forward through anyway. And, um, you know, it's a direct through line to you all because when you donate, you can write a note. We're going to read it on air when you donate. We'll give you a little shout out as well. And it creates a dialogue. It creates a dialogue with us to you. And it's, it's kind of building something here. And it's mm. it's fun. We are enjoying this, but it takes some time. It does take some money. And so any kickback from you all that you can give us, we, we greatly appreciate. You know, those of you who produce this and you get that producer credit, you know, you were the most beautiful people to us. And, <laughs> you know, we just appreciate it so much. And we're all having a good time with this. So, again, it's dailyratings.com. You can head to the donations tab. And with that, mm-hmm. now we're going to get on to our last uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film. And it's going to be Licorice Pizza. Yes, uh, an odd, <laughs> an odd name for it, but apparently attached to a real, real life store uh, in in the setting of this, uh, which is in uh, I think in the San Fernando Valley, you know, very California type of thing. Um, Licorice Pizza is a. Uh, this is a movie that is a through and through will they won't they type of romance, but it is wrapped up in a package uh, in the vein of a once upon a time in Hollywood type of story where uh. we have a main story but a lot of the runtime is dedicated to sides uh, side plots that are introduced and resolved in the same sequence okay uh, dips into the feel of the time trying to sell the world and I would say a standout here is a some very cool casting here. Uh, we have. I love the cast. Yeah, love the cast. Uh, our main characters. One, uh, we have Philip Seymour Hoffman's son uh, in this, and the fact that I had no idea. Yeah, I honestly had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the fact that he's getting involved in acting and rekindling that relationship with clearly so you know, cool. one of the favorite you know actor director combos uh, uh, in PTA's filmography and and and, and Paul Tamer's Paul um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman too many too many three word names <laughs> just really Phil Baker Hall it's too much work lay it off cut cut one down <laughs> trim the fat for me I think it was very cool and that as well he's very charismatic on screen. 
screen. Uh, I would like to see, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of hold some res- uh, some back some of my praise because I would like to see what he will do with his career if he has the range of his father and the, you know, the true fearlessness to play any type of mm. character, you know, embarrassing, awkward, cool or not, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think there's there's some promising start. Also, our, our, our main actress, uh, oh, I'm forgetting her name. Alana Hyam? Yes. Uh, I believe a, a I think it's Hyam, yeah. Uh, a, a rookie star as well, but her family, including a many, many sisters, are cast within the film. Her father so is cool. actually in the film. So there's some really cool casting ideas here and very enjoyable because it's sold very well. The dialogue works so well. And I think that's two sides of the main co- uh, of the same coin that the dialogue works well because of a very sharp script but also because of a very natural approach to how these lines are delivered. And okay. I think that lies in some really sharp casting uh, on this film's part. Um, yeah, I can't wait to hear how, how Philip Seymour Hoffman's son was. Is, uh, uh, how did he, I don't know, pass the, you know, how did he keep the torch going? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, he, he's very young. Uh, and this film yeah. has a, uh, a topic of uh, uh, will they, won't they, kind of a taboo love um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. What is, what is the, the his his name actually? I mean, oh, uh, Cooper. Uh, Cooper, Cooper, Cooper Hoffman. Hoffman. There we go. If he's gonna if he's gonna survive on his own, we should probably, we should, yeah, probably we should start yeah. giving him some praise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his own name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not on leash. I, I think it's it's a little bit hard because he is playing a very young character, a very uh, you know kind of um, uh, kite in the wind type of character, just going from pleasure to pleasure, and then he is. Uh, Contrast by our main female lead, who is kind of an antagonist, but probably most controversial about this film. Uh, she is 25. It's actually alluded that she's maybe as high as, uh, as old as 28 in the film, and he's only 15. So we have ah. a little bit of an odd pill to swallow for this film. Uh, Very I, much I, of a call me by your name type yes. situation, yeah. And I think the, I mean I, I don't know for sure uh, at the time of recording this, but I think there could be some flack uh, put towards this film for that reason. I think why why I'm leading this uh, why why I'm leading this criticism or, or spotlighting what could be potential there for me specifically in watching this film. This is a early seventies love letter. Like I said, very structurally similar to a Once Upon a Time in yeah, Hollywood. That it's side stories and then one plot line. Mm-hmm. It's just odd because we ha- it was kind of left scratching my head, especially in theaters. What is the demographic in this film? I had teenagers in the theater. I also had uh, geriatric uh, hospice patients. You know, I, I <laughs> did you know there, Austin? Did you open yeah, ask? I, 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 how many weeks? Your, How many your weeks? clipboard. How's it going? <laughs> How's it going? What's the element? Yeah. <laughs> the demographics of this film is a little bit confusing because it is a sophomoric humor. It's very raunchy humor. Obviously, it's about kids, so it's going to be kind of funny in that way. Right, right. But it's wrapped up in this love letter of callbacks to waterbeds and callbacks to early 70s burnt orange and, and, and kind of things like it, It's It's very odd, so, the pairing that he did here. So Paul Thomas Anderson, though, encapsulate, encapsulates that time period well. Yes, which, the which, time which period say. is done well. I think... If I had to be critical on why I'm coming maybe a little bit more lukewarm with this film is I feel it's in conflict with the type of story, the type of characters we have on screen, and the dressings Mm. and the settings around them. I think it's a 
touch of a mismatch. Uh, that said, now, that's but, in but, the eye of the beholder. For me, it just didn't quite work. Right. I didn't feel like thematically as well. It tied. So in even too in the well. set, so even the fact that you have um, very young, you know, very young coming of age love mm-hmm. story in the seventies, even with that, like. So you would expect raunchiness or something like that, sure. but overall, the overall package, something was off. Even so, even with all that, something, yes. you're saying something kind of didn't feel right. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 how sophomoric some of the jokes are. That actually bleeds into some of the side stories as well. Uh, some really, uh, I would say, out of place jokes. It l- particularly landed in the theater that I was in, which I was happy. Yeah. Uh, I, I there was there was a moment there and a couple moments that I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're really <laughs> making this type of joke. Um, uh, again, that's very much going to be subjective. Uh, I think most of the time it worked, uh, even when the humor was coming off a bit racy, a bit uh, crass. Um, uh, but I, I think they were done to. Sell the time period of the story. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, again, it is this pocket look uh, into this time period, uh, and it's sold through these side stories. What I was in love with, though, is that as the main plot of our romance goes on and on and progresses, it becomes increasingly more shallow because. The hmm. romance kind of boils down to a will they won't they a tit for tat very juvenile romance and that was not the most engaging especially as the runtime went on what i then was looking forward to are these side stories and it oh, really okay. does help things string things along and for some of the cases really are the best parts about the film uh which is which is surprising uh we have an appearance how am I forgetting his name? We have got Bradley Cooper, uh, uh, Tom Waits. Tom have, Waits. Yes. Yeah, I was love. I love seeing Tom Waits pop up and film here. I, there. I know. I know. Let he him go a, bigger and bigger. I love. Yeah, it. he's clearly playing like a, a very particular type of character that you know a, a very uh, maverick director. You know, doesn't he, give a, a he, crap about right. Anything. Right. Yeah. He fits. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I, he, he does a good job, and, and that's what I mean. You know, as those side stories progress, they slowly become from. You questioning why they're in the film in the first place to the best parts about the film to even further probably what saves the film for me as this relationship and the romance kind of it's it's one note it's not bad but it's 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 all tit for tat very juvenile you know all right you know I've been there done that kind of stuff hmm. you know yeah so it didn't come out as, as cutesy and heartwarming uh, heartwarming. I think what prevents it from being heartwarming is the subject matter of she's 28, potentially 25, uh, and he's 15. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. Think, you know, this, I don't know. I, I was definitely conflicted, and I think I bring this up. Well, it's not really a spoiler, for one, and we, we can talk about it that way, but I bring this up, especially for folks at home, because if that, maybe along the lines of, like you said, for Call Me By Your Name, if this was, if that was a, is that a factor that maybe prevents you from liking the film for really any number of reasons, you know, uh, that is definitely a factor here. Uh, so yeah, I think I mean, a lot a, of it is sold gap, well. I, yeah. Yeah, but it quickly is a factor in the beginning half of the movie, and then more and more it's just slowly forgotten. And and if anything, I would have rather it's it's be the center point of the conflict in the romance rather than, oh, you're looking at her, and oh, you know, you're looking at him. It's mm. very juvenile. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, for that reason, I, I think I think the goal of this film, and especially the follow through of trying to tell a day in the life story of early seventies very burnt orange type of hue to life. I think it's charming and makes ugly likable. Okay. You know, our characters are not 
the most charismatic. They're not the most attractive on screen. Uh, and I think that's everyone. I think that came across uh, in the trailer and purposely done. And like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, these just look like normal ass people. Exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if there, were, if there was going to be a follow through of why early 70s, you know, to my criticism of why are we ha- telling this sophomoric story with a very old callback, I think it's because that timeline or that time period of early 70s, I think it encapsulates that feel of ugly but likable, uh, ugly but heartwarming in some sort of way, you know, uh, maybe a little bit tacky in areas, but still something that we can all have fun with. Um, in its subject matter uh, around the age, I think, uh, you know. And not following, was this following any type of true story or something like that, like a nugget of, of truth, actually something that happened? Or? I, I think it was more so kind of uh, a half truth kind of a non-fiction fiction of these um uh, of maybe some historical characters in in Hollywood in film production at the time and okay. try and dive into them again i don't want to overcompare to once upon a time in hollywood cuz right. this film does have merits of its own um but uh it really is going for that type of genre you know a pocket view of this time place yeah and 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 it seems like once upon a time in Hollywood was was not so much a love letter, but it was an ode to old school Hollywood or the mm-hmm. good elements of Hollywood mm-hmm. um, to an extent. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Quentin Tarantino was definitely shining a light on something and mm-hmm. trying to make it to a positive. Mm-hmm. This was more so a just a little time capsule yes. of yesteryear, kind yeah. of, and yeah. maybe a suburb of that. You know, right, what I mean? right. less stakes, a little bit uglier, a little bit less polished, but mm-hmm. that's that really is the point of the film. Right, right. And, and I think if, if you know almost saying that out loud i think if there's a through line in this dive into the earlier works of pta uh, and why this is maybe a revival of that is he very clearly through the script through the vision through the design of this film has a feel and a mood in mind and executes upon that pretty flawlessly you know okay it's follow through to pair all these things together i think it's just you know i i could imagine this movie getting a little bit of a hate because of the age issue i think it's sold because of maybe the kind of frisky time period i mean we go back to well, Bobby, the, yeah you know? It's, it's, you know the one thing about call me by name is that it you know the fact that this takes place in the 70s i mm. think more people are going to be a little bit looser I think I think some people just will not see that film because of that because mm-hmm. the age difference mm-hmm. and how it's and like the, how much it's frowned upon. Mm-hmm. The fact that it took place in the seventies, though, I think there's an easing of that grossness. I yeah. guess you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Not that uh, it's not there. You know? it, the yeah, fact it's that, I mean, not there. You were definitely noticing the theater. I, mean, I, I think I think probably it's unavoidable to notice because yeah. it's very in the forefront in the beginning of the story. And then it just kind of goes away, and that and that's where I think my criti- criticism is directed. I would have rather that it's let's weird put it in the and forefront I, and let's make it the conflict, you know, let's, because it is conflict exactly, actually, yeah, yeah. With, with us viewers, yeah, yeah. Instead, yeah. the conflict just boils down to a will they, won't they, and okay. that's where it's like, all right, well, it's enjoyable because of the side stories, but that middle part mm. it kind of just rots away, uh, which is a, which is a shame, and, and I, I think you know. If if you're going to keep my attention in a modern film, it has to have, you know, especially if that main through line is going to be about the romance. There's got to be something 
fresh done with the romance. And yeah, there are fresh aspects, and you can say, well, you know, it's a progression through the time period, and these side stories give more than just a spotlight to cool little side, side characters. They are spotlights to our main characters as well, and the situations that they're put into, I just think it, it just didn't hold up, and if anything, my, my compass for that is very much that these side stories quickly became a distraction from what I cared about in the main th- uh, plot line to something that I very quickly thought was saving this film from being kind of bad, honestly. Wow, wow. So, okay. Or at least generic. Sure. Uh, That's, so. Okay, that, yeah. But uh, with that said, you know, uh, thank God there is a sharp script. I think there's a lot of praise to the casting here. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not one to talk about casting too much. I mean, there's really a highlight here. Uh, the sharp script, the way the dialogue is driven uh, through the film, once again, pacing a very big highlight uh, and the side stories are what's keeping this film in a positive light for me. We're going to go ahead and give Licorice Pizza a 66. Oh, it's 66. Still pretty good score. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, actually, that's very, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely still going to see it for uh, for sure and even it being a 66 it's just like yeah okay that's a that's a good movie and I think it's worth your time take yeah. a look at these actors they're clearly probably yeah, so gonna be in more of PTA stuff at least uh, you know? real quick um, oh as far as the up and comers absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that's cool that he took that and you know like like Cooper Hoffman and yeah like you said family members and everything very yeah. cool and then the big actors I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see like real quick like Bradley Cooper and Sean Penn mm-hmm. like how were they like good uh, good uh, Bradley Cooper was a little bit annoying uh, oh, okay. Honest. All right. Uh, Sean Penn played a, a a very particular type of actor, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. up his own ass kind of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, but that honestly, by the time those side stories are introduced, those are the good side stories that I'm referring to. Yeah, that yeah It's yeah. like it's probably the better part about the film. Cool. All right. Well, yes, sixty six still a good film. Um, mm-hmm. still worth the ch- uh, checking it out and everything like that. And Vin, is there anything else here that you? Uh, you know, wish to add, or we're going to roll credits here. No, I think that's good. I mean, I, I was I was happy to do this dive into uh, the first half of PTA's career. Uh, glad he's returning to maybe some of his roots. And uh, you know, if anything we talked about uh, here today, folks at home, isn't really jiving with you, understand that. Paul Thomas Anderson has some of the sharpest films on the block uh, and the ones that we did not cover today. Uh, it's definitely worth paying attention to him as a director because you never know when another There Will Be Blood will come out of the woodwork. Yeah, and it's going to be fun as we as we do these podcasts and stuff, hitting some of those, mm-hmm. that middle ground and everything like that and, and some of his later work because I love that you took his earlier work and that we're starting with that mm-hmm. and just the fact that it ties into the style of his 2021 film. Oh, yeah, it's 100%. just very cool. Yeah. 100%. All right, Vin. Really appreciate you stopping by, folks. Here, we're just going to go through uh, these films just one more time here. So we have Hard 8 at a 49%. Boogie Nights, the big film here at an 85 Magnolia with a 72 Punch Drunk Love with a 43 And Licorice Pizza with a 66 Again, we thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. And we will see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs> If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. 
you can donate whatever amount of value you, you feel you received from our product. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.